the book of Psalms, chapter number one, if you would please. Chapter number one of the book of Psalms. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted. Somebody say planted. Planted by the rivers of water. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper, and he shall be like a tree planted, shall be like a tree planted. In this book today of Psalms, there are so many things that we could gather. There are so many encouragements. There are several times where the psalmist writing that particular psalm is desperate and crying out to the Lord for help. But then there are psalms that you read that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your creator has you on his mind and he has a plan for your life. And Psalms chapter 1 is one of those psalms. It gives hope to a man that will stand up for God and do something with his life for the Lord. And... It says that a man that will love God and serve God, that he is going to be like, everybody say like, he's going to be like a tree. He's going to be like a tree, a tree planted by the rivers of living water. I want to talk to you today from this simple subject, if I could, for a few moments, the trees of the Lord. The trees of the Lord. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for all that have gathered in this house today. We need a miracle in this place today, Father. We need you to strengthen those that are in this house. God, there are hurting people here today. There are confused people here today. There are discouraged people here today. And we need your word, almighty God, to speak in this house to transfer life into a place that death has tried to prevail, to transfer light into a place where darkness has tried to prevail. I speak life in this house today. Let the angels of the Lord minister to the hearts of men and women throughout this congregation. And for this, we'll give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Let the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Psalms 104 And verse 16, I want to share one verse with you from there, and we'll work our way back to this thought in Psalms 104 and 16. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted. Somebody say planted. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way 
of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth, doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted. There is a powerful concept, I believe, presented in Psalm, the first chapter, that if we read at a hurried pace, we can often overlook the underlying principle in the Word of God. There is uh, a context by which we can read that I don't know what, if there would ever be a proper uh, a proper phrase, a proper word, a way to describe it, but I'd like to call it uh, the context of assumption. In other words, there are things that we can assume as we read if, uh, if the storyline says if you touch the fire, you're going to get burnt, then the context of assumption says if you keep your hand out of the fire, you won't get burned. Does that make sense? There are things that we can assume it says this is one way that it's going to be, but if you don't do that, then this is the opposite. So we can assume that that's the way it's going to be. Now, the psalmist said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So you're blessed if you don't. You're a blessed man if you don't walk in ungodly counsel. So what would we assume in the context of assumption? That you are not blessed if you do walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He said, blessed is the man that does not stand in the way of sinners or, in other words, in the way that sinners go. You're blessed if you don't do that. But if you choose to do that, you cannot be blessed. Amen. Everybody understands where I'm at this morning. You are a blessed man if you don't do that. But there's some things in your life that God cannot control and he cannot work on if you don't allow yourself to be led by the Spirit of God. If a man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of the scornful is like a tree that's planted by the rivers of living water. What does that say about a man that walks in the council? That stands in the way of the sinner. That sits in the seat of the scornful. Where does that put him? If a good man is like a planted tree, what's that make a man that does not trust the Lord? It makes his life chaos. It makes his life have no direction. It makes his life have no meaning. Now this tree is a tree that's planted by the river of water. So that would lead us to understand that it would be possible to be planted somewhere besides the rivers. There are two kinds of Christians that I could categorize people into today. And that would be river Christians and rain Christians. There are people that... They have to have rain to survive. They have to be in a mighty move of God. They have to be in a mighty outpouring of revival to survive. You bring in an evangelist and call two or three weeks of 
consecutive services and rain, Christians start flourishing. They grow and they stand up and they begin to bear fruit. But when the rain has ended and the season becomes dry, their only source of life was that last revival, that last camp meeting, that last conference. But whenever they've got to stand on their own, they have nowhere to draw nourishment from. They have nowhere that they can draw life from. They have nowhere that they can draw strength from. But blessed is the man who is like a tree that has been planted by the river of living water. It's a river that does not require rain in order to flow. It's living water. It has a source of its own. It has a source that brings life. Even in the driest of season, the living water will still flow. Somebody say amen. So when men are living in sin, I think it's a fair assumption to say that they go from bad to worse. Have you ever had yourself in such a mess that you try to fix the mess and when you try to fix the mess, it gets worse? I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand, but have you ever met somebody that lies so bad that sooner or later... They've had to lie so many times about the lie that they told that they can't even lie good anymore. (laughs) So they tell a lie, and then when that story runs out, they have to tell a lie as to why their lie wasn't good enough in the first place. I saw a photo the other day. Somebody sent it to me. I don't know how many of you have, have seen it. Apparently, it's a Russian collusion thing or something for for this new face app that makes you look old. Have you seen that? It makes you look old. Let's just say I'm going to enjoy every minute of my young life. (laughs) Somebody sent me a picture and said, this is what the, the, the old face app is coming to. And it had a picture of a man texting back and forth with his wife. And his wife said, where are you? And he said, I'm at grandmother's house. And she said, send me a picture, I don't believe you. And he was standing next to a beautiful young girl, but he had used the face app to make the young girl look old. It was a lie in the first place that he was at grandma's house. And then he had to send a confusing picture to his wife who knew his grandmother, but he was trying to make her believe that the lie was right, so he had to tell another lie. It's a cycle whether we talk about lying or cheating or whatever it may be. It's a vicious cycle that always goes from bad to worse. You take one hit but you're not satisfied with one hit anymore. It starts off with one drink but you're not satisfied with one drink anymore. It starts off with one adulterous affair but you're not satisfied with one affair anymore. And it goes from bad to worse. Do we have Bible for that? We absolutely have Bible for that. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, they walk in the counsel of people who have forgotten God. The evil is rather practical than habitual. It just happens to be that on the move, 
they come in contact with some ungodly counsel. But they allow themselves to hear the counsel of the ungodly. Which causes an aberration in their way that in one moment they're walking in ungodly counsel. But now they have stopped walking. And now they're standing in the way of the sinner. It took one moment of ungodly counsel and inclining their ear to that counsel that kept them from walking. And now they're not walking anymore. They're standing. Now they have become habituated to the evil. It's no longer just practical. It's habitual. They have now taken so much ungodly counsel that they don't know what else to do. So now they just stand in the way of sinners and they have become what they listen to. They have now become what they at one time despised. What they at one time said, I will never become that. But because they hung around that kind of company long enough and listened to that kind of counsel long enough, no longer are they walking at a brisk pace. But they have slowed down to hear the counsel and it has stopped their progress. And now they just stand. Now they stand. In the way of open sinners. People that said, I never dreamed I'd get here. Never dreamed I'd go this far. Never dreamed I'd lose that much. But here I am. In the way of open sinners who willfully violate the commandments of God. If let alone, there be no change of repentance. There is another step for them. They started off walking. But then they heard the counsel of the ungodly. And now they stand in the way of sinners. But their hearts are not turned towards God in repentance. So now they've gone from walking to standing. And eventually they sit in the seat of the scornful. They become themselves pestilent teachers that used to, they would walk right by a person that is just like they are now. There was a time in their life that they wouldn't have given the time of day to someone who believed what they now believe. But they've gone from hearing the counsel of the ungodly to standing in the way of sinner to now being the ungodly counselor. Misery loves company. And I want to preach to you an infallible truth today. You can always find somebody who will stand on your side even if you're wrong. You can always find somebody who will pat you on the back and will justify the reason for your failure. And try to make you believe that it's all right for you to stay that way. Because ultimately what you need to be is you need to be happy. And I would say to you today, I want to see you happy. And God wants to see you happy. But the purpose of Calvary's cross was not just for us to be happy. It was for us to be saved, healed, and delivered. 
sincerely what happens in the life of the blessed man is that he realizes where his help comes from. And the things that used to make him happy cannot make him happy anymore. Because once he has been washed in the blood of Jesus, there is something that transpires in his mind. That it used to take the things of this world to make me happy. But what used to make me happy, I no longer find joy in. I have now been set free from the law of sin and death. And I found life in him. Oh, yes. The psalmist said that the blessed man must hold no communion with such characters as the ungodly, the way of the sinner, the seed of the scornful. You can find people at some point in your life that will allow you to speak things into their life that at one time you would have turned your face against and said, we don't believe that anymore. I say to you today that if you really want to know what it feels like to live without the Lord, you don't have to do anything. If you really want to know what it feels like to be broken, you don't have to do anything. But if you want to know what it feels like to be healed, to be healthy and to be whole... To be saved, there's something that you have to do. You've got to make a decision today that although you're walking this path of life, when the counsel of the ungodly comes your way, you make a cognizant decision that I'm not going to stop my walk to listen to the counsel of the ungodly, but I'm going to keep my walking shoes on and I'm going to keep on moving. You hear this preacher when I tell you, There will always be voices. There will always be counsel. There will always be somebody that can speak justification. But today I refuse to stop walking to listen to the counsel of the ungodly. I made up in my mind when I started this race. I don't plan on standing still. I don't plan on stopping. I'm not going to listen to the counsel of the ungodly. I don't understand, Pastor, what's the logic? The logic is simple. It's the context of assumption that if you'll stop to listen to the counsel of the ungodly, you will stand in the way of the sinner. And if you stand in the way of the sinner, you will sit in the seat of the scornful. But the opposite of that is true. If you refuse to walk in that counsel and stand in that way and sit in that seat, the psalmist said you will be like a tree that has been planted by the river I began this by telling you about two different Christians rain people and river people I choose to follow the understanding that life is just better with Jesus I'm sorry that wasn't deep enough for some of you You don't even have to wear your floaties for that. That's a shallow end of the pool. Let me explain something to you folks. I had someone say to me the other day, some of the things that they had done in their life, and 
I, to be quite honest with you, they, they, they had me so depressed by the time the conversation was over because they'd gone through everything that they had done wrong and told me how much they didn't deserve God and how much they didn't deserve another chance. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, oh my God, do any of us have a chance at being saved? Because the enemy loves to speak things into your mind. It's a, it's a premature understanding that before you're really finished, if he can convince you that you're finished, then he's already won the battle. If he can convince you in this house that you are too lost to be saved, then you'll never be saved. And to maintain that status, you don't have to do anything. Nothing. I, I, I don't understand, preacher, why, why, why I don't have to do anything. Well, because you were born in sin. You were shaping in iniquity. Oh, well, then I guess I'm just not, I'm just not one of the ones. I, I guess the Lord doesn't have a plan for me. Maybe I'm not part of the 144,000. Maybe... Maybe I just can't make it. I was in discussion with a pastor the other day. He was talking very seriously with me about predestination. He had some people really crying out against him because he did not believe in predestination. And these people were saying that. Now, let, let me break this down Gerber style. I don't want anybody being confused in here about predestination. The basic scratch idea of predestination is that before you were born, God had his hand on your life or he didn't. So like from your birth, you're either going to be saved or lost. But there's nothing you can do to fix that. that people really believe that. And so the principle that I struggled with as I sat and listened to this pastor pour his heart out to me and he was like, Brother, I'm so frustrated with these people because they're they're wreaking havoc on on what we're trying to do, and they're you know they're they're I'm trying to do a good thing and, and preach good things, and they're crying out against me in my community, saying, you know, stop, stop preaching. It's, we believe in predestination. Stop, stop, stop. And I said, let me ask you about this this particular individual, the female that's crying out against you. I said, does she think she's saved? Oh, yes, she happens to be one of the ones. I said, well, that's convenient. <laughs> I think if I was her, I'd play the lottery every day. Because predestination, man, if you're, hey, if you're one of the ones, gum, just walk around and Whistle Andy Griffith all day. I mean, get your fishing pole and go down. I said, but here's the other part of that. I said, if she's predestined for salvation, why is she bothering you? Does she have a family? Yeah. She's married? Yeah. I said, why don't she leave her husband? Why don't she go sleep around? Why does she go to church? 
Why is she giving you a Bible study? She's saved. He said, oh, that's true. I said, bro, let me tell you the problem with predestination. The problem with predestination is that it limits the power of Calvary. And it says that Calvary's cross was only good for a few folk. See, I feel my help up in here right now, and I want to preach, but I'm trying to stay in my skin. There are people in this room today, me included, that if predestination had anything to do with it, you're looking at one man that doesn't deserve the grace and mercy of God. I'm not here today because I deserve it. I'm here today because God was mindful enough of me to robe himself in flesh and dwell among us and give his life. I'm going to walk on some sensitive ground here, so you just stay with me right now. This is foolishness. It's a fool's doctrine. To believe that because of the color of your skin, you've got more rights than somebody else in the kingdom of God. It's a foolish doctrine to believe that because your daddy had money and somebody else is poor, that they could buy their way into the kingdom. I feel like telling somebody right now that if money or upbringing had anything to do with it, every king of the earth would be saved. But I'm not a king of the earth. However, I am a king and priest with him. I am a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. I'm declaring to you today that the curse of your mama and the curse of your daddy cannot break the back of Calvary but Calvary can break the back of that curse Woo. pastor I want you to understand something my mother did not live the kind of life that is becoming to me being a Christian so your mother's mistakes are going to define you? You're better than that. I don't know what your earthly father did or did not do. But I do know what your heavenly father did. And your heavenly father said, you're worth it. You deserve it. There is mercy enough for you. There is blood enough for you. I feel like telling somebody today, God is with you. He is for you. He is behind you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what you've done, where you've been. God is for you. <laughs> he shall be like a Come on somebody shout it A tree Planted What's this indicative of? He's not a tree that's wild and just popped up He's a tree That was planted Meticulously placed by an all-knowing hand. Woo, God, I feel helping here. 
But if that tree is planted by the river, that means more than likely it is transplanted. (laughs) That what you used to draw your strength from, the people that you used to draw your strength from, when you said, Lord, I refuse to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. (laughs) I refuse to stand in the way of the sinner. I refuse to sit in the seat of the scornful. I want to repent of my sins. I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. And I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden, there is a hand that reaches down further. Oh, God. His hand will reach further down than you've ever been able to go. You cannot outrun mercy. And that hand reaches down. And says, I'm going to pick you up out of your failure. I'm going to pick you up out of the mud. I'm going to pick you. Oh, God, help me right now. I'm going to pick you up out of your past. And I'm going to transplant you by the river of living water. You ever been in a spring-fed lake? You can tell the closer you get to the life of that spring because the temperature starts dropping a little bit. Somebody shout living water. I'm talking about something that's not manipulated by the hands of men. Mm. Oh, God, if I had time, I'd preach this for a little while today. You know what? It's one thing to be a tree planted by a reservoir because men have dug that out and they made a place that wasn't always there. But that spring of living water, it's always been there. And whenever there is death in the spring, there was always life enough in the spring. Listen, you don't go to a spring-fed lake and get close to the source of that, that well, that spring in the water and find algae and moss and green. You'll find that in a stagnant pond that there's no life in. But you go to that spring-fed lake. It is the most crystal clear water. I've been in those spring-fed waters before, and you can see 60, 70 feet deep. You can sit in the boat and see the bluegill coming. You can see your harvest coming to you. Ain't nobody going to help me preach up in here today. God can put you in a place that you don't have to worry about what's on the way. You don't have to worry about what's coming down the road. But he's a God that will take care of you. You don't have to worry about death moving in. You don't have to worry about getting ate up by algae. Your roots run deep into living water. (laughs) Shall be like a tree. Planted. Planted by the hand of Almighty God. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings here today, but I just want to tell you, you're not going to be planted by a TV evangelist. I appreciate your confidence in my ministry, but I can't plant you. I can bury you before the day's over. 
If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we can do that. All I need you to do is die right now. And tell God you're sorry for what you've done and where you've been. And you want to turn in his direction and right about then, we'll bury you in a watery grave of baptism. But when you come up out of that grave, you're not still dead. You're living a new life. Oh, yeah. like a tree planted planted that bringeth forth his fruit in his season 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 I don't like season some goofball posted this morning they couldn't wait for fall You know what my problem with fall is? I know what the next season is. So I'm going to stay in this season as long as I can. Because when we get to that 20 below season, the devil is a liar. Welcome home, Sister Danny. I bet you I don't get one of them smart aleck texts this winter. God said that the man that'll stay out of the counsel of the ungodly, stand out of the way of sinners, stay out of the seat of the scornful, I'm going to give him roots. And when his season comes, nobody has to ask him, is it your season? When it's time for him to bear fruit, nobody has to whisper to their neighbor and say, I wonder if they're where they should be. I wonder if they're doing what God wants them to do. When your season comes, drought cannot steal your season. (laughs) I'm prophesying to somebody in here right now, so don't miss it. Some of you are worried about whether or not the dry spell is going to take you out. Not if you're planted. Because there's a reservoir that you cannot run dry. And I'm going to make you a promise. You keep your feet planted in the house of the Lord. And when it's your season, fruit's coming. Shall be like a tree planted. It's going to bring forth fruit in a season. And whatsoever he doeth. Somebody look at your neighbor right now and just tell him favor ain't fair. Don't be hating on me because I'm blessed. Don't, 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 be, don't be hating on me. Because I've never had to beg God to pay my bills. Don't be be hating on me. Don't be hating on me when the favor of the Lord rests on this church. Don't be hating on me when the favor of God rests on your family. 
There's going to be people look at your life and say, Psh, I wish I had it that easy. But they didn't see you before his hand touched you. My God, I feel something up in here right now trying to break. They look at you all dressed up on Sunday. Hmm, I wish I could dress like that. Well, they hadn't always looked like that. I ain't going to hurt nobody's feelings, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's some folks in here that could testify. Only reason they couldn't buy a suit jacket before is because it was smoking it up. They snorted up cars and smoked up clothes. Ain't nobody going to help me up in here right now. Bishop L.P. Upton, who's going on to be with the Lord now. There was a tax person working for the IRS that came to Bishop Upton and said, we're going to audit you. He said, okay. So they went through his finances and they said, you're lying. If you had to know Bishop Upton, he was very strong. Deep voice. He said, you're lying. He said, about what? She said, there is no way that you can make what you make and give what you gave to your church. He said, what? She said, you're a liar. He said, I sat there and listened about all of it I could handle. And she kept telling me, you're laundering money through the church. And that what, that what didn't make him real happy. Because he took the kingdom pretty serious. He said, ma'am, you have the numbers in front of you. This was my deposits. This is what I paid out. This is it. She said, you can't live off that. He said, I got my gut full. And I looked at her and said, ma'am, I have not bought one single lottery ticket this year. He said, ma'am, I have not bought one 12-pack of beer this year. I have not purchased not one pack of cigarettes this year. Ma'am, I have not given my money to the movie house and to Hollywood. She, he said, most of the people that you would sit down and audit, they couldn't live on what I live on because they spend it frivolously. He said, but I have made an investment into the kingdom of God. He said, I don't have to pay child support because I've been faithful to my wife. I don't have to take care of things that I'm addicted to because I'm addicted to the kingdom of God. So what I'm saying to you is, it's always better with him. I'd rather people look at me and say, you're a dummy. I can't believe that you'd pay tithe and offering to a church. What a waste. You can call it a waste, but don't be hating on me when favor's on me. Because when the money that you've spent on that alcohol, when, when the drunk goes away, and you wake up to a new reality tomorrow that everything you were trying to run from is still there, I'm going to wake up to new mercy tomorrow morning and say, I may be going through it, but he's with me.
I, I, we, my family and I eat out way too much. We're on the go all the time. And I, I think I embarrass my kids sometimes. Because my humor, I don't know. But I got this thing whenever I go to a restaurant, and the first thing they do is bring me an alcohol menu, like all their drinks. And they set it down on the table, and they're like, let's tell, let us tell you about our mimosas. Let us tell you about our blah, blah, blah. And they start going through all that. Let us tell you about our drink specials. I always say to them, I'm trying to quit. Dad jokes. Now I can tell you this. I know what it costs to feed a family of five. And what I can buy my children's meal for, I see people ordering drinks three, four, five, and six at a time that cost the same as a meal. And then they're going to look at me and say how foolish you are to invest your money into the kingdom of God. You don't understand, that tree is planted somewhere that's going to dry up. But I've got some roots by the river of living water. Favor ain't fair, I'm telling you it ain't fair. Some of y'all may remember me telling this story. Uh, I live so much better than how I should. It's crazy. My buddy called me. Several months ago, he said, hey, what size suit you wear? I said, 44 regular. He said, oh, my goodness. I got something for you. And he showed up with an Italian suit. I went and looked at that suit online at Saks Fifth Avenue. It was $3,000. Custom tailored. Custom tailored. $3,000 suit. Didn't look like it had ever been worn. He brought it to me and I put it on and it fit like a glove. I said, my goodness, man, where in the world did you get this? He said, bro, I found it at Goodwill for 10 bucks. <laughs> me and my wife were in Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't know if you know suits or clothes or whatever. I kind of live in one, so it happens. I come walking out of the bedroom, my kids say, Dad, why are you dressed up? I'm like, because I'm breathing. <laughs> Me and my wife were in Knoxville, Tennessee. We went past the Goodwill. I said, I'm coming back. I'm going to go in there and look. I walked in that Goodwill, and I walked, up, I walked up to the clearance rack over there, Brother Jordan, the clearance rack. And hanging on that clearance rack was a Joseph A. Banks. About a six or $700 suit. Dark charcoal with white pinstripe. Two button. I pulled it out and I said, man, that thing's wrinkled. What, I wonder what's wrong with it. I looked at it. Wasn't nothing wrong with it. It was wrinkled. I took it up front and said, how much is this suit? It's my size. $13. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you're just a bargain hunter. I'm not a bargain hunter. I don't want to shop. I don't like shopping. Matter of fact, if I had the money, I'd rather walk in and pay $1,000 and just forget about it. You, I don't want to shop. Shoot me now. If I'd have married a shopping woman, I'd be dead. I don't shop for deals. Are you kidding me? But I did walk into a shoe store the other day. I walked back to the clearance section. They had the finest pair of brown shoes. I walked up, man, that's some good-looking shoes. And the price tag said it was like $200. 
Ooh, I don't like that. And I turned it over. John, them shoes were 40 bucks. Don't be hating on me. I got on a pair of shoes right now. It's one of my favorite shoes. Y'all, y'all hate this. You ready to go? Are you ready to go eat? I got on a pair of shoes right now. They're Italian shoes. Don't be looking down at my feet right now. You'd think I was a shopaholic. I'm not, I hate to shop. These shoes I got on right now, they're, they're called Magnani's. I love Magnani's. But I ain't never bought a pair of Magnani's. Because Magnani's ain't for the po' folk. I've been telling my wife, I'm going sp- to splurge. I like Magnani's and I like Meslin's. And I said, I- I'm going to splurge and I'm going to buy me some Magnani's. I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. I came here for a Saturday choir practice for the state mass choir. And this man walked into my office before choir practice started. He said, hey, Rev, what size shoe you wear? I said, I don't know what you got. Because if they had 12, I got some toilet paper I can shove in them puppies. I said, I wear, I wear 10, Some, sometimes nine and a half, depends on how the shoe's cut. Got a narrow foot. I said, why? What do you got? He pulled out this box, said, Magnani. He said, I thought this was your size, and I'd like for you to have these. Brand new, in the box. Don't shake your head at the children of God and say, that's not fair. You don't understand. I got roots. I've been planted by the river of living water. Y'all got time for one more story? I know, I, oh, God, I know you're hungry. I know you think I hadn't got to preach all week, so I'm just dying to preach because I missed last Sunday night. I preached in North Vernon yesterday. I'm already tired. I was a little bitty kid, about four years old. And I was born with a chest condition in my sternum. I feel faith building up in here right now. And my sternum was caved in like this when I was born, just like that. You could puddle water in my sternum. And they were going to have to do surgery on Brother Boyard. They said, we're going to do it like open heart surgery. We're going to slice him down the middle, open it up, and put a plate in there. And then when he gets a little bit older, we're going to have to go in and put another plate in there as his chest expands. We've got to do it. I was laying in my bed one night. My parents had prayed and believed. My mom had cried. She'd cried enough tears to fill up my chest puddle. And I was laying in my bed. I was, I was asleep. And I looked up, and there was a man standing in the doorway of my room. And I rolled over and I looked up and I saw the man and I felt perfect peace, Brother Kevin. That man, it was right over here on Alliance Road. That house is growing up right now. It looks like it's about to fall in. But when I drive by, I remind my kids of what God did for me. I looked up and saw that man standing in my doorway and he walked towards me. That man walked right up to my bed and he sat down on the side of my bed and he pulled his feet up on the bed and he laid down just like I was laying. He disappeared. And he took his hand and he put it on the back side of my chest and he pushed it out. And he sat up. He turned around sideways and he got up. 
He walked to the door and he turned to the left and went to the living room. Walked out the same way that he walked in. The next morning I got up and I walked down the hallway to my mother. She would worked third shift that night in the emergency room. And I walked in there and I said, Mother, Jesus came in my room last night. She said, what? I said, yeah. Jesus came in my room last night. She said, for what? I said, look, Mama. I raised up my t-shirt. And from that day, from that day until right now, I have been healed and whole with no problems. I have lifted weights. I've been an athlete. I've done anything I've wanted to do. Don't look at me and say that it's foolish to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I've got roots. My wife was pregnant with Grayson Rose, our second. Come here, Gracie. She was pregnant with Grayson. Grayson is my wife's third pregnancy, but our second baby. You heard that right. She lost a baby. And this child right here, the doctor said, if you're going to have a healthy child, we're going to have to put you on medication just to keep the baby in. You're going to lose the baby prematurely. Five weeks before the due date, my wife started having, I'm not talking Braxton Hicks. I'm talking about mama was ready. We went to the doctor. The doctor said, all right, we're going to admit you, but we need to tell you something. They said, we need to tell you that we've got a team on standby. You may not even get to hold her. As soon as she's born, that team may have to transport her to Riley because there's no way. There's no way. You hear that, devil? There's no way this premature that her lungs will be fully formed. My wife gave birth to this beautiful little girl. And when the doctor lifted her up by her feet and smacked her on the hind end, would she need some more right now? When that doctor whooped her, those underdeveloped lungs developed pretty quick because she went to screaming and everybody in the hospital knew that Grayson Rose had arrived. And right now she's using that same voice to lift up praises to God. You want me to tell you why? Because I've got roots and they run into the river. It's rivers of living water. Don't shake your head at me and tell me it ain't fair. The trees of the Lord are blessed. I don't know what you need, but you can get in here right now. I'm about finished preaching. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. What's that have to do with me, Pastor? That means the tree is in a place where the sap is plenteous. That means the nutrition that the tree needs. You can study on it yourself, whatever you want to do. I, I, I don't have time to go deep into it. I had some plans to. But you can study the different kinds of sap. I asked Brother Horner, who works on trees all the time, I said, just want to ask you a simple question about the way a tree heals. And he said, well, brother, a tree really never actually heals. But what happens is the broken place within that tree that has been wounded, as health comes to that place, that life in that tree, the sap will begin to work its way into that wound. And what is a scar forever in the heart of that tree is protected and growth comes around it. The healing is not making the scar disappear. God, I feel like preaching. 
The healing doesn't make the scar go away. The healing protects the place that was wounded. You can cut into that tree a hundred years from now. And you can see in the marking of that tree that at one time this tree was wounded, but it's still standing. I feel like telling somebody today, you may bear the scars of what you've been through, but there is power enough and sap enough in the trees of the Lord. The scar may not disappear, but he'll give you what you need to keep standing. The trees of the Lord. Brandon, they're full of full of sap, full of life, full of energy. I got to reading this week about a bug. It likes to plant its seed. It likes to put its seed under the bark of a tree. It, like, it likes to put its eggs under the bark of a tree. And if it does that, when those, when those eggs hatch, it eats the tree up and it wounds the tree where the tree cannot live. It said, but there's a particular kind of sap in a tree that when the egg is planted, there's a mark made in the tree. A mark that's made and it puts its eggs there. And it's, I don't even know what kind of tree it was. It said, but this particular kind of tree sap, that when the mark is made for the seed to be planted, that the sap begins to fill it in. And where the mark was made and the egg was planted, it cannot come to pass and the egg cannot hatch because the sap seals off the life of what was planned. Oh, you ain't hearing me. There was damage that was planned. There was seed that was planted that said, I'm going to destroy this. But the sap of the tree said, no weapon formed against you. I feel like preaching to somebody this morning that is planted by the river of living water. Go ahead and let the weapon be formed. It's not going to prosper because the trees of the Lord are full of sap. Come on. Stretch those hands towards heaven right now. If you need a touch in your mind, a touch in your body, I want you to stretch your faith right now. Step out by faith and believe with me right now. Transplant me, God. Take me from where my roots are now. Move me to that river. Move me to that river. If you want to know why we have so much joy, it's because the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's because His Spirit gives us joy in life that cannot be explained. If you need a fresh touch of joy and being reinvigorated in the power of God, you can find it in this house right now. Whatever you need, it's here. Come on. I know we're about seven minutes later. Your roast won't burn this morning, I promise you. Let the sap of the trees of the Lord begin to heal the wounds in your life right now. Let it begin to fill in the spaces where the enemy thought to do you harm and damage. Let the presence of God begin to grow around your wounds today and heal. Uh. Hey,
Come on, don't miss this appointment right now. There is divine purpose in this house. There's a divine appointment in this place right now for somebody. God has brought you to this season to transplant you. You want to know where you can get some river roots? You can get them in the house of God in a family like this. Tired of people that's let you down and turn their back on you and drugs that when the effect of that drug is gone, it's gone and you got to try again. I want to tell you, if you've tried everything else and it's failed, try Jesus. Jesus.